by video. I don't see her face. Our video people are not running this session properly. Oh, dear. Oh, dear is right. I saw Brett's face, our IT fellow. I didn't see Judge King. Oh, I'm here. All right. Well, we'll so ignore that blank screen there, and Judge King is paying close attention. Uh, case number 23-40094, Etheridge v. Samsung, and we'll hear first from Mr. Taylor. Thank you, and may it please the court. <clears throat> Jonathan Taylor for the plaintiff appellant James Etheridge. I'm going to try to reserve five minutes for rebuttal. We'll see if I get there. Samsung is one of the world's leading manufacturers of 1850 lithium-ion batteries, and it concedes that it has purposefully availed itself of the privilege of doing business in Texas with respect to 18650. Speak up, please. Sure. It concedes that it has directly sold thousands, if not millions, of these batteries to companies in Texas like Black & Decker, HP, and Dell. It concedes that other Texas companies like its distributor, ESDI, are in its supply chain for these batteries. And it does not dispute that many thousands, if not millions, of these batteries are sitting on Texas shelves in countless consumer products from power drills to laptops. What it does dispute is whether Texas courts can exercise their sovereign power to provide a forum to a Texas resident injured by one of its 18650 batteries in Texas, or whether he needs to go abroad to Korea to vindicate its, his rights, which is Samsung's argument. In support of this argument, Samsung does not defend the district court's reasoning that there is no personal jurisdiction because Mr. Etheridge has not shown that the particular battery that injured him was one of the batteries that first that Samsung first sent to Texas. And rightly so. That reasoning directly contradicts the Supreme Court's decision in Ford, which rejected just such a causal test. But the problem for Samsung is that Ford also announced a rule that expressly governs product liability cases like this one. When a company, quote, serves a market for a product in a state, and that product causes injury in the state to one of its residents, the state's courts may entertain the resulting suit. And by its terms, that rule is satisfied here. Samsung makes only one argument for why this rule shouldn't apply on the record in this case. And that's that Mr. Etheridge obtained and used his battery in a way that didn't meet its subjective intentions. But as the Texas Supreme Court has held, among many other courts, at the urging of the Texas Solicitor General, that argument has nothing to do with personal jurisdiction, which is fundamentally about the propriety of the exercise of state power. Well, why don't we just do away with all the cases that followed International Shoe, including the Ford case, and just say any big international company um, that can be connected in any way with a, with a personal injury can be sued anywhere in the United States. Well, I, I think... And suppose, think of all the, uh, think of all the visitors, uh, foreign visitors who could come to the United States and say, oh my God, I ate bad food. 
this company abroad made the bad food. I ate it at the United States. Give me a forum. Well, Judge Jones, I don't think you have to go this far. We're not asking this court to do away with Ford. We're asking the court to do away. What you're saying is that any resident of any state in the United States who is injured by a product that has worldwide circulation necessarily has a forum in the United States. Not at all, Judge Jones. What we're saying is that— Okay, where's the limit? What limit do you draw? There are a couple of limits, and the limits are built into the test as articulated by the Supreme Court in Ford. The first limit is the defendant has to serve a market for the very product, the very type of product that injured the plaintiff, and it's got to do so in the state. Well, in Ford, in Ford, it was Ford vehicles. Right. Okay. That's right, and here it's— And here it is, here it is, component parts of things where the consumer is not going to be using the battery in any way. In other words, you're basically taking the—okay. No, I think I understand the question, Judge Jones, and what I would say is that I think what maybe your question is sort of putting its finger on is whether the product is, in fact, the same product, and I suppose in some other hypotheticals, a component parts manufacturer may be able to say that, look, this product really isn't the same product that ultimately injured the plaintiff, but I think when the product is batteries, which is one of the most versatile and interchangeable of all component parts, and the defendant here sold batteries individually or in, you know, large cardboard boxes to companies in Texas, and then the plaintiff is injured by an individual battery exactly like those that the defendant itself shipped into Texas, that there's really no serious argument that that's a different product, and so while there might be some edge cases that really do test the bounds of what it means to be the same product— It's a component. It's—there has to be a relationship among the defendant, the forum, and the product, a relationship. In Ford, Ford was an easy case, as Justice Alito's concurrence makes clear, under the regular law that the court had been evolving for decades, because you were talking about Ford motor vehicles sold to the public, advertised to the public, and so on. There are no such connections between this lithium-ion battery and the state of Texas. The fact that it gets sold to factories to be implanted such that consumers never touch it is far afield from the facts of Ford. Well, I think you're right that there are factual differences between this case and Ford, and it could be that if— The point is the relationship test. I think that's right, but again, I think that goes to the extensiveness of the contacts with the forum, and in Ford, they were particularly extensive. Here, maybe they're a little less extensive, but they're still—they still sort of sail over the bar of minimum contacts, which is why Samsung is not even contesting purposeful availment here. It doesn't deny that it serves a market within the state for 18650 batteries. It just argues that it serves a different market than the market through which the plaintiff procured the battery. Where did Judge O'Scanlan go wrong in the Ninth Circuit case? So I think what you're referring to, Your Honor, is the Yamashita case, and there, that case didn't involve any direct shipments by LG, who was the defendant in that case, to Hawaii, which was the forum state at issue in the case. And so the court's jurisdictional analysis, if you just look at the first half of its opinion, it's 
it applies the stream of commerce plus test. Of course, this court has always applied the stream of commerce test. We don't have to even go that far here because we've got direct shipments. And so that's why the first prong isn't satisfied. Now, I think I know where you're going with your question, which is the second half of Judge O'Scanlan's opinion in Yamashita in rejecting the defendant's request for jurisdictional discovery does, there's a paragraph in that opinion that does seem to sort of have a different understanding of Ford than the one that we're articulating in this case. And what I would say there is if you look at the briefing in that case, the court didn't really have the full, you know, the benefit of the full ventilation. Excuse me. I think Judge O'Scanlan is perfectly capable of reading Supreme Court cases. I don't disagree with that. Well, don't tell me about briefing. Well, what I would say, Judge Jones, is there's that paragraph in that opinion, and then there's the unanimous decision of the— So basically you're saying that any product that is shipped worldwide can be— I mean, there are many products that in certain circumstances can be components and other circumstances are end product. And the fact that there is no way that a manufacturer can say, I realize what I'm shipping is not free of the possibility of risk, but I'm sending it into this market to be a component. Would you prefer that Samsung withdraw from supporting manufacturers in Texas if it feared the courts of Texas sufficiently? Not at all, Your Honor. I think if Samsung—there's a lot that it can do to protect itself on the merits. It can write into its contracts with distributors, don't sell these batteries to individual consumers. It can try to— This fellow bought it off the Internet. What else could Samsung have done to prevent that? It might have an argument on the merits that— We don't know how the battery got into this plaintiff's hands other than he bought it on the Internet, right? That's right, but I think as Ford shows, you don't have to prove that the particular product that the plaintiff purchased and the plaintiff was injured by was first sold into the state by the defendant in the case. And you're right, it would be hard to prove that this product was sort of one of the products that was diverted out of Texas and then made its way back in. But it's not hard to imagine, and I think it's the very possibility that there is that kind of causal relationship I think supports the exercise of jurisdiction as the Supreme Court, that is, recognized in Ford. And I would also note that one of the reasons why this particular plaintiff, Mr. Etheridge, may have purchased a Samsung battery is because of all the things that Samsung has done to make itself a household name. I mean, Samsung came to him. He didn't go to South Korea to learn about Samsung. What do you mean Samsung came to him? It's one of the world's leading manufacturers of 18650 batteries. Well, again, we're back to your deal that if you're a big manufacturer, you can be sued anywhere for anything. No, you've got to serve— I mean, you're just—you're totally undermining the distinction between general and specific jurisdiction. With respect, Judge Jones, that's not correct. I want to be clear about this. This is not an anything-goes test. States have a core interest in ensuring that products used in their state by residents of their state are safe. This Court has recognized that for 40 years running in component part manufacturer cases going back to bean dredging. Ford itself recognized that. So when the plaintiff is a resident of the state who used the product and was injured in it by the state, that ensures that the state has a substantial connection with the lawsuit. It ensures that the interstate federalism component of the minimum contacts— So basically you're saying if the plaintiff resides in the state and he gets injured and it's an internationally distributed product, the state can handle the case. But again, that is not what 
40 or 50 years of evolving context jurisprudence have said. Well, I read the Supreme Court's case in Ford as applying its precedents, not overruling them. But in any event, however you read the preexisting case law, that's what about the cases? What about the Woodson case, International Volkswagen and the case? And I keep forgetting the involved tires shipped into New Jersey. Was that Asahi or no? Goodyear. Well, those cases all, again, predate Ford and they don't involve. They predate Ford, but Ford didn't overrule them, did it? Ford announced a test that I think is directly. No, all Ford did was take the test about there must be a connection or relationship. And it said and or relationship now is or relationship. And then it drew a very tight line and it said there are limits. So it's up to the courts to ascertain what limits there are, isn't it? It is. And I would say a couple of things on that point. One is, again, we're just talking about one prong of the three prong test. There's still the requirement of minimum contacts, which is purposeful availment been conceded here. But I think a lot of the cases that you cited kind of grapple with what it means to serve a market and have purposeful availment. And other cases will do the same. And Ford doesn't touch those cases. And then there's the third prong, which is, you know, the over like the overarching requirement that the exercise of jurisdiction be reasonable. And I could see an argument made in a particular case on a particular record that it wouldn't be. Maybe it's because of hardship. Maybe it's because of foreseeability, what have you. But I don't take Samsung be making an argument on that third prong that is independent of its argument on reasonableness. And so I think this case really is ultimately just about reasonableness. And then it come then we get to your point. Excuse me. Then we get to your point about the kind of the bounds of Ford. Again, I think Ford articulates real limits. If we tried to sue in California, for example, in this case, because we believe those courts are a little more sympathetic to plaintiffs, we would lose that case at the jurisdictional stage because it wouldn't be sufficiently connected for the same reason that the plaintiffs were dismissed in the BMS case, which continues to be good law. And I think that shows that this is not an anything goes inquiry. It articulates real limits. There's no forum shopping going on. We see it in the most natural place imaginable. And I just want to give a couple of hypotheticals to illustrate why I think the exercise of jurisdiction is appropriate here. If Mr. Etheridge bought a Black & Decker power drill in Texas, took out the batteries and they later blew up in his pocket, there'd be no serious argument that there wouldn't that he couldn't sue Samsung in Texas because there there would be jurisdiction even under Ford, the company's test in Ford because there'd be a causal relationship. And so I think the same would necessarily have to be true in a case like this. Similarly, if someone who worked in a factory at the Black & Decker plant down in Mission, you know, picked up one of the batteries and was moving it to the assembly line and it blew up in his pocket, he too could sue Samsung on the exact same type of claim in Texas. And I think what that shows is that it's perfectly foreseeable that Samsung, when it ships thousands, if not millions of this exact kind of battery directly to Texas companies, could be held into court in Texas to stand, you know, to defend against these type of claims. And I think it also shows why the state has a strong interest and allowing for it to exercise jurisdiction here is consistent with the interstate federalism component of the state always has an interest in protecting its citizens, but that can be a shibboleth in this kind of analysis as far as I'm concerned. I don't know what else I can say to persuade you other than I think the Supreme Court and Ford did the work for you, maybe about 90% of the work, but I agree with you that 
it understood its test to be consistent with preexisting precedent and to embrace real limits. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Your Honor. Yep. You have time for rebuttal. Mr. Kutch. Good morning, Your Honors. May it please the Court. My name is Ray Kutch. I'm here on behalf of Samsung SDI. I'm joined by my counsel, Chris Amich. The question before this Court is whether Mr. Etheridge's claims sufficiently relate to Samsung's limited contacts with Texas and whether Samsung could reasonably expect to defend an e-cigarette injury unrelated to those contacts. I'm not sure how that's as narrow as, I mean, obviously framed that way, it's hard to disagree with you. I'm just not sure that that's the relevant question. Can you start with the hypotheticals that Mr. Taylor left with? I mean, would you agree that if a Black & Decker employee or a Black & Decker consumer had been injured by a Black & Decker Samsung 1850 that you'd be hailed into court reasonably in the state of Texas? Yes, I think that would be a better instance of jurisdiction, mostly for a causal relationship between Black & Decker and that employee. And the difference between the 1850 and a Black & Decker hand drill and an 1850 bought on Amazon from Macromall is what exactly? One is sealed and the other is not? It's a little more complex than that. For Black & Decker, they're a transaction company, which, you know, it's a wildly sophisticated company that has agreements that they won't misuse these batteries and they directly place these cells into battery packs. And the thing I get hung up on, I hear you, and I read this in your brief, the thing I'm hung up on is misuse of the product by someone not named SDI is a merits argument, right? And that's what I'm getting hung up on is that you may win because you could say, like, look, we didn't do anything negligently. We put them in these special sealed things and whatever, and so we shouldn't be responsible for the blown up in the pocket. But I'm trying to figure out why your purposeful availment of the state of Texas's market for 1850 consumers doesn't answer the jurisdictional question. I mean, you clearly are sending thousands or millions of these batteries into Texas. You're presumably liable, or not liable, but you're presumably amenable to suit in Texas if something goes wrong because of the ones that you sold to HP and Dell and Black & Decker and others. And the thing I'm hung up on is that we're trying to figure out as a jurisdictional matter why you shouldn't be hailed into Texas for the exact same battery just that got here in a different way. Well, to answer your question, it's Samsung's contacts with Texas that matter, not so much the product. So we're not even going to look at Mr. Etheridge's use in this situation. What we look at, and like under Ford, we look at how extensive those contacts were. I mean, Ford tried to get their products into every conceivable hand possible. They used flowery language like a verifiable truckload of contacts and really talked about the efforts that Ford went into marketing this product, manufacturing this product. And really, Ford just tried to get out of jail free by saying, well, guess what? That product wasn't sold here. Yeah, I have a bunch of questions about this because like, so number one, in Wyoming, right, Ford didn't manufacture anything. They didn't sell anything, right? They advertised, I suppose, but of course, Samsung advertises all over the United States too, so that doesn't really help you very much. And in the Ford opinion, over and over and over again, Justice Kagan talks about the product being sold in Texas. 
product to this, the product to that, the product to this, the product to that. So she seems to be saying, you know, the two concurring opinions have some criticism about the clarity of the test, but she seems to be saying for an 8-0 court, we care very deeply about the product, and if the defendant sent the product into the relevant state, it doesn't matter that this particular plaintiff was injured by a product that didn't come from the defendant's contacts with the state. So as you may recall, the explorer that injures the plaintiff in Wyoming is a used car. Ford had nothing to do with that. There is no conceivable way that Ford could have known that a used explorer was going to somehow make it to Wyoming. It was a secondary sale. It wasn't sold at a Ford dealership. It wasn't sold by Ford Marketing. It wasn't sold. I mean, it just got there, right, through the stream of commerce or however you want to describe it. It just got there, and then it hurt the plaintiff, and the court said, yeah, it doesn't matter because Ford is sending other products into the market. So I'm having, I'm hung up on that piece, if you can help me. Sure, and so my friend on the other side actually commented on that test, but he left out the most important part at the beginning of the sentence that says, companies like Ford that ship products into a foreign state, and that like Ford is reiterated twice in the brief, and you can literally remove like Ford and list any of the sufficient contacts Ford had with those foreign states. I think those adjectives, they are used to describe how involved Ford was with the market, how much they tried to move these products into the Minnesota as well as Montana, the advertising, the 140 plus car dealerships, the aftermarket sales. Ford did everything possible to really get these hands on their product, and here in Samsung, Samsung conceded three instances of personal availment, one being the ESS cells, which belong for solar panels and wind turbines. They're massive. They're the size of a refrigerator. Nothing to do at all. Does Samsung do anything to promote the use of its batteries by individuals in the United States for whatever purpose they choose? Not individuals, no. Only companies. That's my point. Correct. And then the second instance is Stanley Black & Decker, and those are, while they are individual cells, but they're directly incorporated into those power tools, highly regulated, and there's no access to individual use. They're not sold. They're not resold. And then the limited cells to HP and Dell involve laptop battery packs. And again, someone would have to take a hammer, bust that open, and then pull out the circuitry just to get the cell out of it, and then sell that to a vape market, which raises other kinds of issues about whether this is fair play and substantial justice, or even if Samsung can anticipate that to begin with. It's fair to characterize this as a fortuitous and unexpected use. Is that right? Yes, I think you can characterize that as well, as if a new employee sells it out the back door unknowing to the company. But because Samsung directs its products through sophisticated channels, channels where Stanley Black & Decker, HP and Dell have real relationships, real contracts, real regulations that they want to abide by, it is not feasible that these would end up in the hands of e-cigarette users in Texas. And Samsung actively tries to prevent this. But as to the Black & Decker, and I appreciate, by the way, your correction. I'm sorry I got Wyoming and Montana confused, but I appreciate the clarification on that. As to the Black & Decker consumer, your point is not 
or maybe I'm not understanding your point. Are you saying that the Black and Decker consumer also couldn't sue you in Texas? Only the manufacturer level? So Black and Decker itself or HP itself or Dell itself could sue Samsung, but that if I bought a Samsung battery because I'm a Dell consumer in Texas and it blows up in my laptop or blows up in my pocket, I can't sue you in Texas? No, I think in that situation... So consumers can sue you. You would have jurisdiction in that... There would be a causal connection in the language of the Ford and the other cases. That's correct, Judge. So you're not taking the position, if I understand it, that there's somehow a distinction between a consumer market and a manufacturer market? Correct. This is not Morgan, correct. Okay. So that's helpful. I'd appreciate that. So I don't understand, then, if consumers generally can sue you, why can't this consumer? And your answer is, well, we didn't want our 1850s used in e-cigarettes. Is that the gist of it? It's not our intent. It's our actions. The point is, your product is safer when it's implanted into some other consumer tool, right? That is correct. And that is also referenced in Plano's petition when they cite the U.S. Fire Association report. I think it's paragraph 56 or 46, pardon me. But yes, you're right. It's like putting mercury in a thermometer. You don't want people to touch, handle the mercury. And when you put the mercury into a thermometer, it's safe. That is correct, Judge Jones. That's a great analogy. But to get back to your point, this is not an instance of Samsung's intent. It's Samsung's actions, what they actually did. And it's their contacts and how those contacts relate to the plaintiff's injury in this case. And when we look at those contacts, those three contacts, Judge Brown did a great job going through all of the jurisdictional record, parsing out what counted, what didn't, put them in various buckets, and then isolated those three instances of purposeful development to really look at whether or not Mr. Etheridge's injuries arose from or related to those contacts. And this really focuses on the related to requirement because we could all agree that his injuries did not arise from those contacts. So this is exactly also what Justice Alito and Justice Gorsuch talk about is, well, there's now this kind of sliding scale that judges have to look at when evaluating these cases. How related does it have to be? And we talked about the Yamashita case a little bit earlier, and I think they have some great language in there. It's one of the first courts to really grapple with the related to prong. And I believe the court says something along the lines of relatedness serves as a proxy for causation. And I think that is a perfect example of how trial courts should look at jurisdictional evidence when evaluating the related to-ness prong here. I appreciate that. Can you do a hypothetical with me? Because I think you put your finger on what's hung me up on this case. So let's take a consumer who buys a Ford Explorer in Dearborn, Michigan. Now, he buys it used, right? It's made in Dearborn, but he's from Montana. He buys it in Dearborn. And he drives it home, right? And it explodes in Montana. So he's a Montana consumer. He buys the product in Michigan, but it's a used product, right? And then he drives it home. Now, it turns out that the reason it explodes has nothing to do with Ford, right? It's a used car. It's got 150,000 miles on it. It's got a bunch of aftermarket parts. It has electrical issues and stuff that had all been done in a garage and whatever. But he brings it home to Montana, and he gets hurt because his car blows up. 
And so he sues under Ford in Montana, his home state, for this used product that he bought in Michigan. Can Ford defend by saying, hey, listen, we are generally amenable to suit in Montana. We totally recognize that, but not here. And the reason we're not relevant here is because of this this causation problem. The causation of the injury has nothing to do with our contacts with this state. It has nothing to do with Ford, the Supreme Court case. It has to do with the fact that he bought a used car that had some electrical issues done in a shop in Dearborn. Can, can Can they defend as a jurisdictional matter that way? Yes, and I think yeah, you've lost me. I just have such a hard time because it's like that—that's a merits argument. It totally makes sense to my brain. You're arguing the merits, not the jurisdiction. Yeah, that's exactly my concern. So, so what we were, what I would suggest is—is is the court's going to have to, trial court's going to have to look at the connections of where the injury occurred and whether or not Ford was engaging in sufficient business under under Ford. Um, were they advertising that much? Uh, We'll say all the four contacts, the, the variable truckload. Um, the trial court's going to have to look at that and then look at the causes of action by the plaintiff in that instance. And so, could it? Is there a possibility that they could have jurisdiction? The answer is yes, but it requires that that analysis, the the exact analysis that Judge Brown did here, to to come to that conclusion. And and it is. It's. I, I think even in Morgan. Uh, the Supreme Court of Texas uh, talked about how every single case has a unique record, and it really has to be contemplated. I mean, LG Chem has been, you know, in Texas has been found, you know, without in and out of jurisdiction. So it really depends on the record before the trial court and and how it is analyzed to come up with those arguments. What's the status of so-called stream of commerce theory? Is that an independent theory of jurisdiction, or is that just a phrase? Well, stream of commerce gets to what I'll call the the, the purposeful availment prong of of deciding specific jurisdiction. Purposeful availment, availment. And it's it's whether or not the product enters the market. Uh, Texas is stream of commerce plus, but on the federal side, it's stream of commerce. Um, and that just the slight nuance being the intent to serve a market versus you know the mere foreseeability, but that's where that theory comes into play. I, what a, I know there are a lot of cases on lithium-ion batteries. There are probably more since you all finished briefing. Are there any other uh, uh, higher court decisions? Uh, yes, as of last week, um, the Seventh Circuit. Down. It's BD versus Samsung, uh, cause number 23-1024. In that instance, the trial court denied uh, Samsung's motion to dismiss, and the Court of Appeals remanded it back asking very specific questions that it wanted answered because it couldn't tell from the record whether or not. Um, jurisdiction was appropriate. And some of those questions were, did Samsung know that its sales were reaching consumers? Did they expect that these sales would reach consumers? And uh, what were their efforts to control uh, the distribution? And here, I think Judge Brown was able to answer that because our record showed where we sold our sales 
showed that they were regulated and demonstrated that it is virtually impossible outside of nefarious means to get an individual cell in Texas. So in a way, that's the most recent higher court case. To go back to your restaurant example about tainted food, the First Circuit recently came out with Capillo v. Restaurant Depot involving tainted lettuce and a guy who ate a salad in New Jersey and then tried to sue the same manufacturer for dealing with lettuce in his home state. It's a very similar analogy to what you brought up there. But those are the higher court cases that I can comment on. The lettuce case, did you cite it in your brief? No, that one literally just came out. It's what? That one just came out. I have not cited it. Well, you can send these to us in a 28-J letter. I will, Your Honor. Counsel, can I ask you a market segmentation question? Sure. Could a manufacturer of batteries, SDI, could they renumerate their batteries, 1851, we only sell those in Maine, 1852, we only sell those in New Hampshire, 1853, we only sell those in Vermont, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and then defend a suit by saying, hey, we don't sell that product in Texas. We only sold those in Bangor. Ford leaves that question open about whether or not you can manufacture or market a certain vehicle in a state. I think, again, the focus is on the contacts and how they relate to the various injuries. If we're talking about maybe the difference of the size of battery, it may not matter as much, but maybe if I talk about the voltage or how high power, it might matter more. But that is a question that has been left open by Ford. If the question is so focused on the manufacturer and the way that the manufacturer markets or, you know, you point to the sort of truckload of contacts and the question, I'm supposed to look at just what Samsung is doing and the way that they intended to market their products, why would I be limited to doing it statewide? Why couldn't I say that the 14th Amendment's due process clause would allow Samsung to defend on the basis that, hey, we tried to sell these batteries in Texarkana, but we never intended those to reach all the way to El Paso. Texarkana and El Paso are much further apart than, say, Vermont and New Hampshire, and so we can really do the market segmentation much more granularly. Why would I do it on a state-by-state basis? For the most part, we're looking at whether or not Texas can exercise due process over... Yeah, but I'm really concerned about SDI and its attempts to market its products and its attempts to control where they go, right? So why would I have to do it on a state-by-state basis if you have a 14th Amendment right to avoid being hailed into court in El Paso? Well, for one, each case has its own facts regarding the injuries of each plaintiff that need to look for a strong relationship with the contacts that the defendant might have with the state. So I think that would be too universal to have a kind of a King's X on, you can't touch me here. And you want that analysis for trial courts to do, to say, okay, how am I going to determine whether or not this plaintiff's injuries are sufficiently related to the contacts here? And then you look into the contacts of the entity. Well, the question is not really up for grabs in a federal system. In other words, the whole point of 
these contacts, his contacts with the forum state. So it doesn't matter whether it's Delaware or Texas because the whole point is states have coherent regimes of law. So I ... Correct. Does the court have any other questions? No. Thank you. Your Honor. All right. Okay. Mr. Taylor. Thank you, and may it please the court, just a few quick points in rebuttal. I'd like to begin with what I think, or at least what I heard to be a pretty important concession from Samsung, which is that it's not pressing a market-based or market segmentation theory. And so, as I understand it, that leaves just two arguments on the table for Samsung. One is a consumer misuse argument, and the other is a causal link argument. So on consumer misuse, I took my friend's answer to your hypothetical ... It's not a question of consumer misuse at all. It's a question whether it was a fortuitous and unexpected appearance of the product in consumer hands in Texas. Well, I think the ... He didn't say that you couldn't put a lithium-ion battery into a vape pen. I don't know whether you can or not. That's not the issue. The issue is whether in the distribution, Samsung has any way of expecting that those batteries are going to come into the hands of individuals. Well, it knows that it will come into the hand of individuals in small consumer electronic devices like power drills. Yes, but secured in such a way ... And that might give them a defense on the merits. I mean, take a hypothetical in Ford. If someone ... If the plaintiff in Ford had been going, you know, 180 miles an hour and the tire gave out ... But Ford ... We didn't expect it to be used in that way. And I think it might have a pretty good defense on the merits, but that's not part of the inquiry. Similarly, if I walk down the street, pick up some WD-40 and chug it and something happens to me, I could still sue the manufacturer in Texas or my estate could, but I might not win that claim on the merits, but there indisputably would be jurisdiction. And I understood my friend to agree, at least when it comes to products that were originally sold in the state by Samsung directly, whether it's a Black & Decker drill that got disassembled and then there was a diverted use that was, you know, given to someone down the street in the vape shop, whatever. And I think that shows why their argument really then becomes a causal argument. I mean, Judge Altham, I think you're exactly right. This is a merits question, unexpected use. And so that just leaves them with this causal test argument, and that was the very argument that was rejected by the Supreme Court in Ford. And Judge Altham, I read Ford the same way that you do, which is that the focus is on the product. And I think that makes perfect sense because what the court was essentially saying there is that states have a substantial interest in ensuring that products used in their state ... Well, then give me an example of some product where there would no longer be jurisdiction post-Ford, widely ... Well, I think there could be, you know, if Ford, for example, just sold a particular model of car that was made ... No, you ... No, cars are cars. Might have the same brakes, might have the same engine. Well, then it would come down ... Give me an example. Well, I think you would either need ... If it's not something ... If it's not something that is sold either as an embedded component part with, therefore, presumptively regulated 
you know, carefully calibrated use that somehow appears on the, if it's not this situation, what would it be? Well, I think, I would point you to the test in Ford. So I think you'd either need the defendant, the manufacturer, not to have served a market for that product in that state. So they'd have to, if the only solution for Samsung is to cease supplying batteries to manufacturers in Texas. No, I don't think that's right. Because that's your only other connection. Well, that's one thing it could do, as the court recognized in Ford, and that it recognized way back when in the worldwide Volkswagen case. But it could also procure insurance. It could find, it could potentially even try to sort of change the product that it actually sells in some way to make it different somehow materially than an individual cell. But here it's exactly the same cell that it was sending. Or it could, you know, just continue to write into its contracts, you know, restrictions that would give it a very good claim on the merits. Or if that fails, an indemnification claim against the distributor for diverting the product. Well, we don't, that's absurd. Well, we're just talking about jurisdiction. You're talking, no, you're talking about the stream of commerce. You're talking about any product. The only connections here are that it sells it as a component part. It sells the exact same product in cardboard boxes in bulk to Texas companies. And then a Texas resident was injured by using that product in Texas. And that ensured... And that would be a direct causal connection. Well, it... But there's no direct causal connection. I mean, you have to concede that. We have not, we can't prove that. We don't know the original provenance of this particular battery. It could have been originally, you know, sent into Texas. Maybe not. He bought it on the internet. He did buy it on the internet. But it came from somewhere. Originally it came from, you know, Samsung. And we just don't know how it made its way into the United States. But we know that it did. And I think this actually, if I could... No. Thank you very much, Your Honor. Okay. Thanks very much. We stand in recess. Thank you.